Today, I want you to take your Bibles or apps or whatever you read on, and today we're gonna be in the book of Daniel chapter one. Daniel chapter one. Now, if you're not familiar with where the book of Daniel's located, here's what I would encourage you to do. If you're in a physical Bible, open up to the table of contents. Uh, There you're gonna find the Bibles broken up into two main sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, Daniel's in the Old Testament, and he's about three quarters of the way through uh, that section. So three quarters of the way through the Old Testament you'll find Daniel turn to chapter one. Now, if you're in an app, simply pull down the list of the books of the Bible. There you're gonna find that Daniel is just under halfway down that list. So Daniel chapter one. Now, in today's account uh, from the Bible, we're gonna look at a guy who was threatened and really was mistreated at the hands of people who had power over him. And here's my question. Have you ever felt threatened? Have you ever been in a situation where someone held power over you and you felt powerless to do anything? Maybe there was oppression or injustice. Maybe there was abuse uh, or forcefulness being uh, pushed upon you. One way or the other, in today's account, we're gonna read a man who really went through something like this and how he responded to that. Uh, you see, we started a brand new series last week called Church and Culture. Uh, and through this series, we're gonna be taking a look at what the Bible says about living in a culture where the people of the culture may not particularly like the followers of Jesus. So how do we follow Jesus? How do we live for him? in a culture that doesn't really like us that much. And we're gonna do that through looking at biblical instruction, what the Bible actually commands and tells us to do. And we're also going to look at examples of men and women from the Bible who exemplified how to live for Jesus in cultures like this. Now, last Sunday, uh, we kind of unpacked and built a foundation for this series. I would encourage you to go into uh, last week's message. You can find it on our website or on our YouTube page, but go to last week's message and listen to that one or watch that one uh, because we built the foundation, first off, understanding that our culture, as bad as it is, is nowhere near as bad as the cultures that the men and women who lived during the writing of this book were in. You know, the, the cultures of Daniel and, and Joseph in the book of Exodus or, or Genesis, um, the, the cultures of Paul and Peter and Jesus and uh, the other apostles they lived in cultures that were far worse than our own. And so there's a a good perspective that we should have there, an understanding of where we truly are in history as a culture. But the second thing that we discussed is how God's word always trumps our opinions. And that's going to be a constant challenge through this series is to reevaluate what we think about how we should live for Jesus in our culture and really submit to what God's word says about living for Jesus in this culture. So today we're going to look at someone who epitomizes that ideal, the ideal that God's word trumps our opinions. And so we're gonna look at the life of Daniel and three of his friends. So take your Bible or your app and turn with me to Daniel chapter one. We're gonna begin in verse one. Now you're gonna read this in the first couple of verses, but Daniel is an Israelite. Um, He lives in the time when the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar comes in, invades Israel, uh, uh, wins, you know, takes all the people captive and ships them off. 
Uh, and Daniel is a noble young man, uh, probably well-to-do, uh, had everything going for him. And Nebuchadnezzar takes him into his own household uh, to be basically like a, a servant or an advisor. Now, we're going to read about all this, but I just kind of wanted to give you a little background. So pick up with me in Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says this, in the third year of the reign of Nehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Verse three, then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Verse five, the king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called uh, uh, Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. Now, uh, let's stop there for just a moment and, and, and kind of understand what's taking place here with these four probably teenagers, young teenagers. There's four of these young boys. They've been taken captive. They've been basically kidnapped and taken to a foreign country. There, it's not expressly stated here, but in that foreign country, they are under the chief of the eunuchs, meaning that all four of these young men were castrated and turned into eunuchs as well. And so they've been, uh, all, this, all these things have happened to them. And not only that, but each of their names are changed. Now, this may not seem like a big deal, and you may recognize the names of the, the last three of the four, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because we've told stories and there's songs about these three young men, but those names are not their Israelite names like the name Daniel is. They were the Babylonian names that they were given them. And these names had meaning behind them, as most names in this part of the world did at that day and time. Let me tell you what the meaning of these names are. So Daniel's name was changed to Belshazzar. Now, Belshazzar translates roughly to wife of the god Bel, protect the king. So Daniel's name is literally being changed into a name that worships an idol god. Shadrach it translates and means, I am fearful of Aku, which was the moon god of the Babylonians. So Hananiah's name was changed to Shadrach, which again is a name that glorifies an idol god, a false god. Then Mishael, his name was changed to Meshach. And Meshach tr uh, roughly uh, translates to who is like Aku, the moon god. 
And then lastly, Azariah, his name was changed to Abednego. And that word means servant of the shining one, Nebu. Now, Nebu was another one of the gods of Babylon, one of the top three, as a matter of fact. And so they were forced to learn Babylonian culture, literature, language, and religion and beliefs. They, they had to sit for three years learning all of these things under the Babylonian empire. Now, imagine for just a moment, put yourself in the shoes of one of these four young men as a free uh, American that, that has the freedoms to, to you know, have what they want and do what they want, to, the freedom to speak, the freedom to do, the freedom to own. How would you feel if you were one of these four young men? You've been kidnapped forcefully shipped off to a foreign country. You've been changed forcefully into a eunuch. Your name has been changed and not just changed, but it's been changed to a name that honors false gods. And you're being forced to learn the customs, the culture, the literature, the language, and the religious beliefs of this country that you've been shipped off to. How would you feel if you were in this situation, how would you react or respond to this? Well, we have a detailed record of what um, Daniel and Hananiah and Azariah and Mishael's response was. If you read Daniel's, Daniel chapters one through six, it tells multiple accounts of how these four men lived as God-fearers, you know, people who followed God in a country that did not fear God, who did not honor God. Uh, for example, if you continued reading in chapter one, you're gonna find that the food that the king has given them is food that's actually been sacrificed to idols, which in Leviticus chapter 11, that was strictly forbidden in God's word. And so these four young men go to their superior, the, the man who is supervising them, and, and talks to them, talks to him, convinces him through a compromise to allow them to eat something that hasn't been given to a sacrifice. In chapter two, Daniel is given the opportunity to show God's infinite knowledge and sovereignty by interpreting the dream of the king. And then if you move forward into chapter three, we read how uh, the other three young men, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, refuse to bow down and worship a golden image that's been erected in the city and how they have to pay the price for not bowing to them. They were not willing to uh, disobey God's command that's found in Exodus 20 to not have uh, graven images or to worship images. And so, um, of course, we know that in that fiery furnace, the punishment that they received, they survived that. And we're gonna come back to that in just a moment. Fast forward into chapter four, Daniel again gets to show God's infinite knowledge and sovereignty by interpreting yet another one of the king's dreams. And then in chapter five, uh, Daniel gets the opportunity, another king comes along and he gets the opportunity to interpret some writing that appears on a wall 
uh, of the, the new king as he's having a party. And, and he gets again to show God's infinite knowledge and sovereignty by interpreting what the writing on the wall says. And then lastly, in chapter six, Daniel refused to disobey the command in Leviticus 19 and pray to the king rather than pray to God. And so his punishment is that he's thrown in a lion's den and he willingly went to the lion's den to suffer the punishment that he was condemned to because he refused to disobey God. And of course, we know that the lions did not kill Daniel. Daniel's brought out and we'll come back to that again here in just a moment. But there's something I want you to note here in these six chapters of Daniel. You see, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah resisted only when they were being pushed to directly disobey God's commands found in his word. You see, they knew the difference between um, what they didn't like and what God told them not to do. We see the exact same example in the lives of Jesus, in the lives of Peter and Paul and the other apostles. They did the same thing in the New Testament. And so we see that they trusted God and what he expressly told them. And they believed and they did what he expressly told them. They knew the difference between their own dislike and what God commanded of them. And that brings me to today's big idea. If you've ever listened to one of my messages, you know that I give one simple statement that kind of summarizes the main point, the main idea of that week's message. And today's big idea is this. Don't confuse what you don't like with what God forbids. Think about that for a second. We cannot confuse the things that we don't like or that we find offensive with what God actually forbids of us. We need to know the difference between those two things. We need to know the distinction. And this can be confusing sometimes because sometimes the things that we don't like are the same things that God forbids and sometimes they're not. And so part of what I'm telling us here today is we need first off to know what God's word says so that we can distinguish between what we just find uh, distasteful or disagreeable or offensive and what God actually does forbid. And so we need to know the difference, but think about it. Go back to the lives of Daniel and Hananiah and Azariah and Mishael. Think about these four young men and how they responded to things. Think about it. They were kidnapped and turned into eunuchs. Did they fight against that? Did they resist that? Not according to the Bible. They, they, they didn't resist any of those things because there's no biblical command against these things happening to you. So, so they didn't resist this aspect. But, but go further, they had their names changed and the names were names that honored idol gods, false gods. Did they resist the change of their names? No, as a matter of fact, through the rest of this book, these four young men are gonna be referred to by both sets of names, their Israelite names and their Babylonian names. Daniel's not afraid to list both sets at different points throughout the accounts of their lives. You know why? Because there's no direct biblical command against this happening. 
Uh, they were forced to learn about an ungodly culture, read their literature, learn their language and learn their religion. But here's the thing, the Bible commands us not to practice things like this. We're not supposed to practice other religions, but there's no direct command in the Bible against learning about these other religions. And so Daniel, Azariah, Hananiah, and Mishael, they don't resist learning those things because there's no command against learning them. There's just a command not to practice them. But when they resisted, they resisted in the ways uh, that forced them to disobey God's word. Think about it for a second. In chapter one, they resisted, they pushed back when they were being forced to disobey the command given in Leviticus 11, to, to not eat foods that had been sacrificed to idols. They, uh, in chapter three, they were being forced to bow down, to worship a golden image. Well, that's expressly forbidden in the second commandment of the 10 commandments in Exodus 20. And so they resisted that, they, they would not do it, but they were also willing to pay the price for that disobedience in following God. They were more than willing, go read chapter three. They give a beautiful speech and they tell the king, whether we live or die, God's truth remains and he will be glorified. They were more than willing to set foot into that fiery furnace. Because, but they were not willing to bow a knee and disobey God's command in Exodus 20. In chapter six, uh, Daniel was being forced to pray only to the king, a human. And he wasn't about to do that. That would be uh, in disobedience to Leviticus 19 and many other passages. So he continued praying to his God as he had always done and in the midst of doing that, he's arrested and he willingly goes into that lion's den in order to take the punishment that, that he was going to receive for following God and not disobeying God. They got worked up only when they were being forced to disobey God directly. That's what got them worked up. You see, we tend to confuse what we don't like what we get offended by, but with what God actually commands of us. And we need to be very careful about that. Jesus condemned the spiritual leaders of his day for this very thing. So we need to be careful about doing that. A man, named, a pastor named Larry Osborne, he's a pastor in Southern California, and he wrote a book called Thriving in Babylon. And in that book, he says this, Daniel knew the difference between sin and the things he found personally offensive and distasteful. He never confused the two. He picked his battles wisely. The Bible calls us to pick our battles wisely. That there are things that the Bible's not concerned with that we're not supposed to be fighting for. We fight for the gospel. We fight for obeying God. We fight to lead every generation to the life-changing hope of Jesus. That's what we fight for. And when we truly understand what God says in his word, when we truly understand what he directly calls of us and we faithfully obey him and we do so with gentleness and respect, when we do that, people take note. You see, 
When we look at Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah's obedience to God and the way that they obeyed his commands, we see that all of that worked towards the gospel. It worked towards glorifying God's name. Let me, let me read you some examples uh, from these chapters of what I'm talking about. Daniel chapter one. So they've just gone through this whole thing where they were gonna be forced to eat foods that had been sacrificed to idols. They, they petitioned their supervisor. The supervisor gives them 10 days where they can eat uh, foods that hadn't been sacrificed. And at the end of the 10 days, they come out looking better than all of the other uh, teenagers that are with them. And this is what the result of that was. Verse 19, chapter one, verse 19, it says, and the king spoke with them and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all of the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. So the king has noticed just how much better these four men are. And he began with this moment where they refused to disobey God's word. Look at what happens in chapter two, verse 46. So Daniel has just interpreted the dream of the king. And it says this, then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made a request to the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon, but Daniel remained at the king's court. Now fast forward to the next chapter, chapter three. This is the incident with Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego in the, the fiery furnace. And look at how it ends. Chapter three, verse 28, it says this, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Who, was, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Amendigo shall be torn limb from limb and their, their house is laid in ruins for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar to all the people's nations and languages that dealt in the earth said, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the most high God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. You see, because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego willingly went into the fiery furnace because they were not willing to bend a knee to an idol, they were not willing to disobey God, but they did so in a willing and gentle and respectful way 
King Nebuchadnezzar glorifies God and he tells that glory to his entire kingdom. It doesn't end there. Look at verse uh, chapter four, verse 37. So another um, dream has been interpreted and says this, after that dream was interpreted, it says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And then fast forward into chapter five, Daniel has just interpreted the writing on the wall from the next king. And look at what happens in Daniel five, verse 29. It says, then Belshazzar, who was the king, gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. So Daniel's lifted up because he does this great work for God. And then finally, at the end of the the den of lions, when Daniel survives because he will not uh, pray to the king, but will only pray to his own God, when he comes out of that lion's den safe and and unharmed. Look at what the response is uh, in chapter 6, verse 25. It says this, then King Darius, who is the, this third king that Daniel served under, then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwelt in all the earth and said, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall never be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. You see, every time, that the, these four young men obeyed God, the kings of this kingdom lifted up the name of God and not just lifted up, but proclaimed the glory of God to their entire kingdom. These decrees would have gone out to every city in their kingdom. And that is exactly what we're called to do. We're called to know the difference between what we don't like and what God actually forbids. You see, God recognized and was lifted up when these things happened and people came to know him because of the lives that these four young men lived for their God. You see, Jesus is all that we need in life. You can't do anything that I'm talking about without Jesus in your life, without the gospel, without Jesus working in and through you. You see, he provides, he sustains, and he sees us through knowing that that everything that's happening to us, even if it may seem bad in the moment, is for the good, as Romans 8 promises us. You know, we don't need anything else other than Jesus. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah recognized this. They were willing to sacrifice anything, including their own lives, in order to, to follow God. And maybe you're watching today and, and maybe you're inspired by that. Maybe, maybe you're in a situation where you recognize your need for Jesus. We all have a need. We're all sinners. We're all spiritually broken and we need Jesus to come in and heal that brokenness. 
And believe me, Jesus is the only one that can bring that healing. And if that's you, if you could use that healing today, reach out to us. In in the post of this video, uh, there's something called a a link to a virtual connect card or an online connect card. I want you to click that. It'll take you over to our website to the contact us page. Go there, fill that form out, and I will personally reach out to you as soon as possible. I would love to talk to you about Jesus and the healing that he can bring in your life. So don't hesitate. Reach out to us. Go to our website to the contact us page and, and let me talk to you there. But The encouragement today, the the direction today is that we are to follow Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael's example. The way they lived, the things they valued. I would encourage you this morning, today, to not get worked up over things that Daniel just would have gone, eh. Daniel recognized that there were things that he probably didn't like. He probably didn't want to learn the the language and the religion of the Babylonians, but he willingly did it. And he did that knowing that God would be glorified through what he was doing. He never practiced that religion. He never submitted to that religion, but he didn't have a problem with learning it. He understood the difference between what he just personally didn't like and what God actually forbids. He understood that. Now, I wanna give you three quick examples from Daniel's life and from instructions from the Bible, three examples of ways that we can distinguish between the things that we just don't like and the things that God forbids. And here are, are, are three things that I think we can learn from today. First, Daniel and these three other young men lived quiet lives. This is commanded in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 11 through 12. We're supposed to be living quiet, reverent lives as an example to those around us. Um, Secondly, we're supposed to submit to the government. This is commanded expressly in Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2. There is no black and there's no gray area when it comes to what these passages tell us. And so we're called to submit just as Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah did. They submitted to the king. They honored him. They they didn't glorify him, but, but they gave him the respect that he rightfully was due as the king of that empire. And they followed what he told them to do, except in situations where they were directly commanded to disobey God's express word. Lastly, be willing to suffer. And when you do, respond with gentleness and respect as 1 Peter 3, 13 through 17 says. 1 Peter 3, 13 through 17 unpacks this idea that we as followers of Jesus are going to suffer. But when we're confronted, when we're asked about Jesus, we're called to respond with gentleness and respect. Over the next couple of months, we're gonna be digging deeper into what it looks like to live like Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. We're gonna unpack some of these ideas and what prevents us from living our lives for him and ways that we can better live our lives for him. And so I hope that this series, The Church and Culture, uh, builds up your faith and helps you grow closer as you live life for Christ. Join me in prayer.
Almighty God, we thank you so much for today. And Lord, our prayer is that you would help us to distinguish, to understand the difference between the things that we simply don't like and the things that you expressly forbid or command of us. Lord, help us to know your word well enough that we can tell the difference between those things. And when we know the difference that we would obey what you tell us, that we would live our lives the way Daniel and Hananiah and Azariah and Mishael lived, that we would live honoring you and leading every generation to the life-changing hope of Jesus. So Lord, we thank you, we praise you, and we lift all these things up to you in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, amen.